Well, welcome back to our study of Proverbs, and we are in chapter 6, and uh, we're going to do a short overview of the entire chapter, and then we'll get to our main text, which is verses 20 through 23. But before we do anything, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your great mercy, your, your kindness, your patience. Father, I pray for all the children and young people that might be listening to this, even parents. Father, that you would strengthen them with grace. Most importantly, Father, that you would open up their eyes and transform their heart that they might look upon Jesus and love him and believe him and see in him all the treasures, not just of the universe, but of of God himself. And dear God, help us to teach this splendid and necessary book, the book of Proverbs. Um, we live in a world, Lord, of great foolishness and a time of, of vanity fair, even in the church. But I pray, dear God, that you would uh, teach the children wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in this chapter six, we're seeing something that is extraordinary. We're seeing different kinds of sins that are laid out and, and spiritual dangers that are laid out. And then in the middle of all that, we're taught how to navigate through those dangerous seas by studying and applying the word of God. So let's look, first of all, just a quick overview of Proverbs. In one through five, it's the danger of rashness. Now, what does rashness? It, it means, what is it? it? It is making decisions without applying wisdom, without applying discretion, without waiting upon God and calling upon God and asking him for wisdom. You know, there's a great story that pertains to Israel and Joshua. Joshua is very faithful, but when the Gibeonites arrived, um, it says that Joshua and the men, they, they checked, you know, that their shoes were worn out and their bread was old. And it seemed that they had traveled from a very far land. So they did everything they could to discern, to make the right decision, but they failed because they, they failed to do the most important thing. And that was to consult God. You see, sometimes uh, our eyes and our ears and our calculations are not enough. There are things in this world that seem right genuinely to us, even when we're fearing the Lord, they seem right to us, but we always need to consult God and we should never make a rash decision. If someone is telling you, make a decision now or you lose everything, but you're not sure what that decision is that you should make according to the word of God, then know that you're being manipulated into making a rash decision. And you know what? There are some decisions that we make that you can't fix. That's one of the things I always warn my children about. There are some decisions that they can make and they can say, Daddy, help me, and I can come and I can help them and I can fix the problem. But there are other decisions that they can take that they get in so much trouble that not even their father or the pastor or even an entire community of people can save them from that decision. And so rashness is the first danger. And then there's the danger of slothfulness. Now, after slothfulness, uh, there's wickedness. Now, all sin is wickedness. It's in verses 12 through 19. All sin is wickedness and all sin is lawlessness. 
but there is a type of person that kind of, they make a decision. They have settled it in their heart that they will not be obedient to God, that they will reject his law, reject his word, and they will live their own way. Now, for some of you, that may be hard to believe, but I have lived a long time, and I've met people like that. I've actually known of people who said, even if I go to hell, I will not obey God. A friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, tells me about the time he was witnessing to a man who believed that God exists. The man was very old, and he was on his deathbed. And on his deathbed, knowing that God existed, knowing that there was going to be a final judgment, he raised his hand with a clenched fist and shook it at God and cursed God. So all sin is evil. All sin is lawlessness, living as though God never gave a law. All sin is rebellion against his throne. But there are certain men who've just come to a decision. I'm not gonna listen to God. I'm not going to obey God, no matter the cost. Now, some of you young people who've been raised in church, you think to yourself, how could anybody be like that? Be very, very careful. We can all be like that. We can all come to a point where we no longer even recognize ourselves. Most people don't fall into that type of lifestyle. They gradually slide. And know this, with every little sin, you keep going down and sin becomes more and more acceptable until not only do you do wickedness, you have become a wicked person, a person with a settled decision and determination not to obey God. Now in verses 24 through 35, we have unfaithfulness, particularly with regard to marriage and the sin of adultery. Young people, I cannot exaggerate, over-exaggerate. I cannot emphasize enough the importance of remaining pure, waiting for marriage, cherishing marriage, being committed to marriage, knowing that it's an institution created by God, knowing that those who have strong marriages will, will live in the realm of blessing and God's favor, and those who reject the vows they made on their marriage day, it brings great harm, not only to them, but their spouse, and not only to their spouse, their children, and even the community. Now, so we've got rashfulness, slothfulness, wickedness, and unfaithfulness. So we can see here, this is a dangerous ocean that we're seeking to navigate in, isn't it? Well, how can we navigate through it? What is the map that we can use? We're gonna look at that right now. It's the Word of God. So if we want to navigate this extremely dangerous journey, these rough seas, like I said, there's only one hope for us, and that is the Word of God. Now, I've said that so often throughout my life, and you know what the response usually is? People say, that's so simplistic. Life is so complicated. And here you are again, Paul, saying over and over, your answer to everything is we need to know God's word, we need to obey God's word, or we, we need to pray, and we need to draw strength from him. Um, I had a guy one time that just he said, why do you keep saying that it's all about the word of God and prayer? And I said, well, because it's all about the word of God and prayer. 
And you can call it simplistic, but the people who take seriously their need to study God's word, they're strong. People who take seriously the need to spend time with God in prayer, they're strong. Now, that, that's just a fact. And so to na navigate this, we need the word of God. So let's look at verses 20 through 23. My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you wake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. This is a, a beautiful passage and we're going to spend a lot of time here. I know it's going to take a while to get through this passage, but I'm not here just to get through the book of Proverbs. I'm not doing this just to hear myself speak. I'm, I'm doing this because I believe that children need the word of God so desperately, especially in their formative years. So many people will say to me, oh, they're too young. Well, did you know that, that most scientists believe that a great aspect of a child's character is developed by the time they're six? They begin to solidify certain things about their personality and their character that may control them for the rest of their life. And so what people normally do with the scripture is they say, well, when a child, you know, is 12, 13. Well, I don't agree with that. I believe that you should teach your child to read as early as possible so that your child can read the word of God. So let's look at our passage. So verse 20, my son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Now, this assumes, I've been talking to young people, but now I need to talk to parents for a moment. This is assuming that the mother and the father have wisdom. And not a wisdom that's learned from, you know, live and learn, a wisdom that comes from the word of God. Now here's something that I want to tell mothers and fathers. There's a sense in which in your family, you are both authorities. Now the father is the highest authority, but the mother is authority also with regard to her children. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, we have the king of Israel. And one of the things he was commanded to do was write his own copy of the law in the presence of the priests. Why? Because he had authority only to the degree that he was living and making decisions based upon the word of God. Your authority in the home um, is really dependent on how much you know God's word and you're managing your home according to God's word. I remember uh, I saw a clip, um, a film clip a few months ago, someone asking John MacArthur, how much authority does a pastor have? And his answer was zero. Authority does not reside within a person. We have authority if we're a leader in the family or a leader in the church only to the degree that we expound the word of God, make decisions according to the word of God and are examples of the word of God. Now, here's another thing that I want you to see. And it's, it's very, very important. Um, 
when you're made an authority, like a pastor or a parent, there are gonna be times when you just don't wanna get up that early in the morning and you don't wanna study that many hours. It is true. But here's something that's always been helpful to me. I'm not only studying for the glory of God, I'm not only studying for my own faith and my own growth, I'm studying for my wife. I'm studying for my children. And if you're a pastor, I'm studying for the congregation. So see, we're studying for more, than, for more people than just ourselves. And that requires us to realize that we have a great stewardship placed upon us, a great and tremendous stewardship. And we need to be very, very careful. This is what it means to walk in the fear of God. So many, you know, fathers or men will say, you know, I am the head of my home. Do you not realize that instead of pounding your chest, you probably should be trembling? Because that means that you will receive a greater judgment. To whom much is given, much is required. Now, to the young people, I want to say something that's very important. You may say, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but my parents aren't Christians, or my dad never teaches me the Bible, or my mom rarely does. The only time I hear the Bible is when I go to church, or, you know, sometimes in Sunday school. Other than that, it, it, it's not really a Christian home. Well, let me say something to you that might be a little, um, it might bother you a little. Uh, I'm sorry for that, that you, you don't live in a home where maybe your parents are taking seriously the admonition of the word, but you still need to respect them and love them and submit to them when what they're doing is not contrary to the scripture. Also, young person, realize this. You are without excuse, okay? I have known children, and they grew to be adults. I've lived long enough that have grown to be adults, and um, they were raised in very, very godly homes. Not legalistic homes, not mean-spirited homes, but joyful, godly homes. And, and they turned out to deny the faith and live totally in the world and delight in what Scripture would call abominations. But I have also known people who are now extraordinarily godly, who were raised in terrible homes. I can think of one person, I won't name him by name. Uh, he lives in Europe and, and he was raised just abandoned basically in garbage. His parents were drug addicts and he's one of the finest uh, men I've ever known. And so we're without excuse. I, I wish that all of us, you know, had mothers and fathers who were wise in the word and teaching us the word. That, that should be our prayer and we should pray for our parents. But know this, you're without excuse. If, if, if you know the Lord, you are without excuse. So give yourself to the study of God's word. Now, maybe you say to yourself, you go, I read God's word and it's so hard to understand. I know, but your life depends on it. If someone handed you a book of physics and said, if you learn this, these physics equations and all these different types of things, then uh, we will give you a million dollars. I guarantee you'd study that book. Well, there's something here more important than a million dollars. It's called life. It's called life. And so I want to encourage you that no matter how hard it is for you, continue 
and persevere. I have known people who had an extremely high IQ that didn't know the Word of God as well as someone who had a much lower IQ. Do you know why? Because one of them, even though not the most intelligent, recognized their need of knowing God and knowing His will, and they gave themselves to that. Now, I want us to see that there is a relationship between the commandment and teaching and between observing and forsaking. Look in verse 20. Well, before we get there, let me say this. He says, my son, he begins, my son, observe the commandment of your father. My son, um, when you love somebody, when you truly, truly love somebody, you're, you're gonna want the best for them. And if you're older, if you're wise, you know something of how to get to that best for them. And that's what we see here. We don't see just some cold academic sharing information. We see a father who loves his son. And if you're a girl, a father who would love his daughter, pleading with them, not being apathetic or kind of just, you know, complacent, but pleading with them, please listen to the commandment and follow it because it's life. Observe the commandment, you know. Um, it, it. Some of us have lived long enough to know how dangerous this world is. And through our study of Scripture, we know something of the judgment of God that comes upon the world. And we look at our children and we don't just say, oh, do this and don't do that. But we plead with them to be in a right relationship with God through Christ and then follow the commandments that their life might be blessed. Any parent that has any grace at all is going to want more for their children than they have for themselves. And that's what we see here. We see a, a, a dad, a father, pleading with a son or a daughter saying, listen to me. You step outside the commandments, it's death. You stay within the commandments, it's life. Now, let's go back to look at the direct relationship between commandment and teaching and between observing and obeying. So. He says in verse 20, my son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Now, we've talked about Hebrew parallelisms where where the writer will say one thing, come back and say the same thing in a different way in order to have emphasis. And so we see commandment and teaching and then we see observe and forsake. OK, this is all these are designed to give emphasis to what's being taught. Now, I want you to look at something, the relationship between commandments and teaching. And I've just written here something that's very important. Commandments are instructional. They're not just to be obeyed. They actually teach us something. So commandments are instructional. And at the same time, teaching, teaching is authoritative and is meant to be obeyed. I'll give you an example. Let, let's think of a commandment. Uh, you shall not commit adultery. Um, you shall not steal, okay? Those are commands to be obeyed, but also in those commandments, we're hearing a teaching. The best life available for you requires that you avoid adultery like the plague. It requires that you avoid thievery like the plague. Stay away from it. 
Flee from it. Run from it. So these commandments, they're commands. But here's the thing. They're like guideposts down a road that tell us how to live. They teach us. Because ultimately, obedience is, is not necessarily the goal. But it's a life of blessing lived to the glory of God. And so these commandments, they're like almost, uh, they're X's on the way to a, a larger X on a treasure map. They're guideposts to get us to where we need to be. So when you read commands, know that God's giving them in order to instruct you on how to have the most blessed life possible and to live for the glory of God. Now, let's switch that around because he not only meant, it mentions commandments, but he mentions teaching. You know, sometimes when we preach and teach, we can be very academic. And sometimes I lament the fact that preachers seem to be preaching to preachers or they just seem to be giving information but that's not really what it's about because teaching is to be obeyed. So um, there was a famous Christian philosopher by the name of Francis Schaeffer and he would often ask the question, how then shall we live in light of this teaching? For example, husbands love your wives. Wives respect your husbands. In light of that teaching in Ephesians 5, how should we live. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Okay? You, you just, you know it, right? It's in your head now. You've learned that information. But that information's not just to be there in your head to contemplate. It's to be obeyed, to be lived out. In a way, we're supposed to be kind of living examples of the commands and of the teaching. This is not about, I know more than you, and therefore when we get in a fight about the Bible, I can make you look bad. <laughs> That's not what this is about. Knowledge comes before living. You, you can't live right if you don't understand what God has said about himself and about his commands. But Christianity doesn't end in knowledge. It ends in the practice of that knowledge. And so there's a relationship between commandments and teaching. Commands also instruct us, and teaching is meant to be obeyed like a command. Now, another thing. Notice that there's no middle ground with regard to God. Uh, there's no middle ground with regard to his commandments. Because look what he says. My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Observe, forsake. So you're either observing God's commands or you're forsaking God's commands. You're not kind of just, I don't know, wandering in this gray area between the two things. You're, you're not able to say, you know, I love God with all my heart. Don't you judge me. You can't look into my heart. Well, I don't have to look into your heart. I just need to look at the direction of your feet, what you're doing with your hands and your mouth and so on and so forth. Because what you actually do shows us what is really in your heart. Now, the word observe, he says here, observe the commandment of your father. Sometimes we look at the word and we think, observe, look at, 
kind of passively. I'm not doing anything, I'm just looking at it. And that's the way some people treat the commands, but that's not what it means. It means to watch, to keep, probably the best way to describe it is what he's saying is to guard it or keep it with fidelity. Um, now, what does that mean? With faithfulness. So let's say that uh, you've got 10 situations in which that command can be applied and you obey it here, you don't obey it here, you obey it here, you obey it here, you don't obey it here, you don't obey it here, you don't obey it here, you obey it here. Yeah, you're keeping it, but not faithfully. The key is to understand a commandment, the will of God, and then to observe it, to keep it with faithfulness, okay? You know, one of the things, that if not the greatest thing, it's hard to say this is the greatest thing when you're talking about your relationship with God because it's like everything is the greatest thing. But his faithfulness in, in, in keeping us, in, in loving us, in not casting us away. I mean, I, I'm not like him. There are so many times just in one day that probably he should cast us away, but he doesn't. Even when we sin, every time he responds with faithfulness. And we appreciate that about him, don't we? Well, that's something also to be appreciated in us, something that should be found in us. is not just to obey every once in a while, but obey all the time. So he says, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Now, before we get to the idea of forsake, let me say this. We got father and mother here. So kids can be pretty, how would you say it? Clever, not in a good way. So you read in your Bible that your dad is the head of the household. So then you try something like this. You go, your mom tells you to do something and you go, mom, I don't have to listen to you. <laughs> Dad's the head of the household. Well, there's a couple things to learn. First of all, if you're a father, you should be constantly affirming to your children your, their mother's authority. That when she speaks, you're in agreement with her. But also, you, you husbands and wives, mothers and fathers should get together and make sure you're on the, on the same page. Because if you... Uh, if one's saying one thing and another person, if the husband's saying one thing and the mom's saying another, those children are pretty clever. And they'll sooner or later learn how to play a parent against the other parent. But you need to be on the same page and you need to back each other up. And the children need to know that when mom speaks, there's no difference between mom speaking and dad speaking when it comes to the children. They're on the same page page. It's very important. And if you ever get in a disagreement about this, parents, uh, which is going to happen because we're imperfect, make sure you're doing it away from the children. Okay? They need to know you're on the same page. And children, just don't do that. Don't ever go to your mom and say, well, you're not dad. <laughs> um, in my house, that would not work. I... <laughs> 
<laughs> I can tell you that. Uh, I have really tall boys. I'm 6'2", and both of my boys are much bigger than me, and I think they're more afraid of their mom than they are their dad. So I don't really recommend you trying to pull something like that. And dad, if they do, make sure you back up mom. Okay, now let's, let's go on with what needs to be taught. So on one hand, he says, observe the commandment. On the other, he says, do not forsake the teaching. What does it mean to forsake? It means to leave it, to let it alone, to abandon it. And this is a good way to put it here, to desert it, just desert. You know, deserters, <laughs> you don't hear much about that anymore. I was a little boy, watch a lot of war movies, you know. The worst thing you could be was a deserter. As a matter of fact, they shot deserters. That's the worst thing you can be. You make a commitment. You say, yes, this is, this is what I'm going to do. And then you desert that commitment and you desert the one you made it with. So I, I want you to know something, children, especially some of you who have been homeschooled or you've been raised in Christian families. There are many, many children that abandon, forsake, desert, not only the commandments of their parents, but the God of their parents. And especially many of them do that in college. And now the anti-Christian teaching is making its way all the way down to kindergarten. And I believe there are probably some really good Christian um, schools and co-ops and things like that. And I'm proud, I'm glad for that. But it's come to the point where I think I can honestly say, if you're sending your child as a Christian to public school, you, you need to just consider it as sending them to a pagan temple because they're going to be taught not to trust the God of their parents. And in many cases, not even their parents. And so, you know, parents just talking to you, you need to be really careful and do not complain if the only Bible studies your children get are, you know, 40 minutes at church painting a picture or coloring a picture of Noah's Ark, and then eight hours a day, five days a week in school where they're being taught that the God of their parents is absurd, wrong, even immoral, and then they go on and they're on the computer and they're on social media and all of it is constantly affirmed, don't be surprised if in the end, they do exactly what we find here. They forsake the commandment, the teaching of their mother and of their father, but more importantly, of God. I've heard it said that Benjamin Franklin's grandparents, if I remember the story correctly, had a Puritan theology and a, a Puritan ethic, but his parents wanted a Puritan ethic, the nobility of that ethic without a Puritan theology or a Puritan God. But the third generation, when it got to Benjamin Franklin, he didn't want the God or the ethic. And so we need to know that it has a culminating effect. And you're, as an individual or a family, you're either spiraling up and becoming more conformed to the image of God's will, or you're spiraling down, spiraling down. Now, I want to say this last thing. 
that whether we observe or forsake God's commands, that reflects what we think about God and his character, and it, it reflects what we think about ourselves. When you neglect God's word, forsake God's word, it's telling us a lot about what you think about God. It's saying, I believe God is unintelligent or untrustworthy. Either he's not very smart, not very wise, doesn't really know how I should live, or he's just not trustworthy. You're also saying something about yourself when you neglect God's word. You're saying that you're all wise, that you know better than God, and you don't need counsel, even from the Most High. Oh, young people, disobedience is self-destructive. In the end, it'll get you. It will get you every time. And so what should you do? Well, this is for both parents. Verse 20 is for parents and for children. For parents, man, you need to bring your, uh, your authority, your teaching, your commands in the household. You need to bring them in submission or in conformity to God's revealed will in the scriptures. But you can't do that, Dad, and you can't do that, Mom. If you're not going to a church that expounds the scriptures and you're not like the Bereans daily searching the scriptures to see if these things are so. So first of all, to parents, to make this work, you need to really be in the word. And fathers, you need to be in the word to such a degree that you can teach both your wife and your children. And then children, don't forsake the scriptures. You say, well, I would never. Um, Every time you ignore them, you know, is your Bible gathering dust? Is it laying there? A good way to, you know, I don't know if some of you have cell phones, but one thing to ask yourself is how much time, screen time, because it'll tell you, how much screen time do you have a week on social media and how much uh, Bible time do you have in the scriptures? All right, well, We'll, uh, we'll come back in our next study and do verse 21, and we will talk about the means to obedience. How is it that we can grow in obedience? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for, for your word. And Lord, please help, help the children, help the young people, help the parents. Oh God, raise up a holy and godly generation to the honor of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen.